I mean, the best thing that I could do is like I could try to go for a little walk outside. I wouldn't last any more than 10 minutes or so because I was just so tired. My body was, yeah, it was just getting wrecked from the inside out. And um, that was, yeah, pretty hard. I never got a reassurance that my wife was going to live or anything like that. I just, there were times where I felt like I was abandoned and alone, but I did get reassurances that everything would be okay. And I think that's all I needed during those times uh, where we didn't have answers. That was Celeste and George Kaka, a beautiful couple who, in 2016, met each other working at the BYU Cultural Centre in Hawaii. After a romantic courtship, they were married in the Sydney Temple, but just three short months later, Celeste noticed a lump on her leg. One doctor's appointment turned into many, and before they knew it, Celeste was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma, a rare form of bone cancer that typically manifests in young kids and adolescents. Goals for raising a family and having a future together melted away as they adapted to their new reality and braved multiple rounds of chemotherapy. In this episode, I chat with both Celeste and George to hear how they battled cancer as a newlywed couple and how despite all odds and warnings of infertility, they are now parents to three boisterous toddlers who Celeste likes to affectionately attribute the bags under her eyes to. My name is Maddie Sterling and this is Choosing Faith, a podcast where we talk with members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and explore what it's really like to live and continuously choose a life of faith in contemporary Australia. Thanks so much for joining me tonight, guys. I know you're both very busy, probably really exhausted parents, um, so I appreciate you giving me the time. (laughs) Given that you guys have been through a lot in the last couple of years, a lot of lows, but also some pretty cool highs. I'm really excited to hear a bit more. So Celeste, we were first introduced at a steak trek activity, I think when I was 14. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's been cool. Although we've lived in different parts of the world over the past couple of years, I've been able to kind of keep up to date with what you've been up to. And I've always admired you from afar for how positive and upbeat you seem to be. Now, I'm sure social media depicts a very rosy side of your life, but either way, I've found your story, especially your experience with cancer, really inspiring. So obviously, you weren't always sick, though. I guess I wanted to start out with getting a feel for what your life looked like before, you know, as a young teen, what kind of things you like to do. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, of course. So, you know, growing up, I was... So I'm the second oldest in my family of six kids. And um, so I love like playing sports with my siblings or just in different sporting teams. Um, So that was a big part of my life and spending a lot of time with family. Um, I had an interest in like health and nutrition and that's what I ended up studying um, and specifying more in like my later years of high school and also in college and stuff like that. So I would probably say just like my whole upbringing was just very active, ongoing and very thoughtful of the future and um, the type of lifestyle that I wanted to live and things like that. So that's pretty much like to have cancer was just so weird because it just didn't fit the lifestyle that I was living in my mind at least. Mm. And at one point you did represent the Cook Islands at the Olympics, right? 
Yes. That is yes. so cool. When, how old were you when that happened? So I actually competed when I was 17 and then the very next day I turned 18. So mm-hmm. uh, I like to let everyone know that I was Olympian at 17 years old. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. cool. And good thing you got in there before COVID hit and the Olympics. Oh, yes. Who knows if we'll have them ever again. I know. <laughs> so how old were you guys when you both met? Um, <laughs> when did we meet? I must. I think I was 21 at the time. Mm-hmm. How old were you? 23, I guess, yeah. And then we didn't start dating until the following year, around February time of 2016. And did you meet at BYU or? Yeah. <laughs> you want to tell us? Yeah, no, it was a very basic story. It was at the Polynesian Culture Center. We both worked there and mm-hmm. uh, it's an easy place to, to meet people. And um, we just started from there and, yeah, slowly but surely. <laughs> 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 you want her over? <laughs> yeah, surely, but surely, man. <laughs> That's a fun place to work. What kind of things were you doing there? So, I was a dancer. I danced at a few of the shows, and then when we started dating, I was a musician there, and so that's what I was doing, and that was part of my way of trying to, um, you know, get Celeste to <laughs> recognize me. So. <laughs> You're over there doing your peacock dance, like showing up all your feathers. Cool. So you met at BYU uh, and then you got married shortly after that. But it wasn't too long, if I got it right, that you found out you had cancer. Yes. So I think it was actually three and a half months after we were married. Oh, wow. That's when I was diagnosed, right? Yeah, three months. Yeah, three months. That's crazy. Were you just really feeling unwell and you just went in for a couple of routine tests or? Um, actually, I was fit as a fiddle. <laughs> really? <laughs> I was in my prime. <laughs> How did you know then? Well, I'd been working out um, one day and I uh, noticed there was like kind of a lump on my leg. I was like, oh, that's weird. And I was feeling around the area and I could feel like it was like a mass in there. And then – I kept feeling it. I thought maybe I had a knot of some sort and I needed to stretch out, but I kept feeling it and it kept getting harder and harder. And so out of curiosity, I went to the doctors just to see what it was. I wasn't mm-hmm. thinking much of it, but they kept sending me to multiple doctors and then now it was specialists. And then now they're saying I need to get a biopsy. And of course, before it's determined cancerous, they're never going to say this could be cancerous, you know. No, I don't want to freak you out. If they don't have yeah. to, but I kind of thought, okay, this is something serious. Um, the more the more appointments I had, and um, yeah, that's pretty much how we found the cancer. All right. Were you together when you got the diagnosis? So at the time, I, I thought the um, I actually thought that when they were calling me into the doctors, they just sent me to the the local school one. So I thought it wasn't that serious because normally a specialist would kind of give you that information so they can explain a little more. But anyway, so I went there and um, I went to the doctors. I had a 15-minute appointment and I told that I told George, like, oh, I'll just go to the doctors and then I'll go to, um, go to work straight after I had scheduled to do my work at the pool as a lifeguard. And so when I went there, they um, – sat me down and they looked like really morbid looking, you know, I was like, Oh, 
is everything all right? Like, do I have cancer? Or And they told me yes. And then I just kind of freaked out from there. And then I called George. I was like, oh, my gosh, you need to come and pick me up right now. <laughs> yeah, and I texted my boss like, um, so I actually have cancer. I'm not coming into work. I need to talk to my family. <laughs> it's so weird to oh. tell people, but that's pretty much how it went. <laughs> I guess you got to be up front. Otherwise, he'll be like, why are you sucking off on the job? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I can't even imagine. So did it take some time for it to sink in? Yeah. Like, I think at first I was just... When they, when they started talking to me about, like, logistics, I, I was just really frazzled. I couldn't believe this was happening to me. And they said the word cancer. I thought about, like, I was looking at myself in the mirror, but in my mind thinking of myself being very, like, scrawny looking and just looking like death, you know, because in my mind that's what cancer meant to me. I didn't know anything else about it other than someone says you have cancer, you're going to die. Like, that's just the limited knowledge I had around it. So I was like scared at first and then I think from the time we found out at the doctors, George picked me up and we drove to his parents' house and then I got there and I started laughing because I just couldn't believe this is actually happening. I'm like, is this a joke or what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like I remember I like I told George, I'm like, hey, you gotta tell your parents because I'm gonna start laughing and they're not gonna believe me that I'm serious, you know. I didn't wanna because um, I know other people would going to be emotional about it. I didn't wanna make them feel weird because now I'm laughing because I just don't know what to feel, you know? Mm. I get that. I laugh inappropriately when bad things happen. Yes. I just- <laughs> oh, you too, eh? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe I just I don't know how to process grief properly yet. <laughs> um, so I, I suppose I want to get a feel for what the next couple of months looks like for you guys as a married couple and delving into treatment. Was it straight away or...? Yes, uh, from that day when we found out Celeste had cancer, we were in the middle of our um, senior semester at at college, and uh, I think we would have had one more semester after that before we both graduated, and so it was kind of a crucial time in both of our uh, college experience, and uh, so to leave abruptly was kind of crazy. There were a lot of things that we had to do to kind of tie up things with school so that we didn't get you know, we didn't fail our classes and that we were able to get those dismissed. And um, that was something we had to do because we didn't know how long we were going to be away for. Uh, two days later, we, we had up and left to Australia and we still, we, we didn't know what the future was going to hold for us and if there was going to be a treatment, if there was going to be a surgery or, you know, how aggressive is this cancer? You know, is she going to live? If so, how long for now, what is the future going to look like with the type of cancer that, that she has? And so it was kind of an anxious time. As soon as we got to Australia, it wasn't like a let's go and say hi to all the family. It was just everything was pretty aggressive. We needed to find some answers. And so we you know, immediately did the test that we needed to. And um, all, all within a week's time, we, we learned that we would have to do chemo treatment and it would have to be – the most aggressive form of chemo treatment. And um, we still didn't have the full picture of what it would look like, but shortly we, we found out it would uh, go on for about a year and a half of doing chemo treatment. And in between there, there'd uh, be a surgery to um, take out whatever remains would be of that, that um, the cancer that was in her leg. And um, we learned that she would lose her hair. And so 
I think it was a, a lot of things to hear in such a short amount of time. There were a lot of big decisions that we were placed in and having to make, you know, big decisions and they were urgent. You know, we didn't have time to really think things through. And um, yeah, I think it was just quite overwhelming for us to go through. You know, we were in Hawaii, uh, we're in paradise and mm, living the absolute dream. Yeah, basically. And so I think when we got to Australia, I think it was cold at the time. So it was kind of a, mm. you know, you felt the experience as well. <laughs> You've been living in this wonderful sunny place as a newlywed couple and then come home to like cold winter in Sydney. Yeah. yeah. And I imagine yeah. you didn't really know too much about cancer until all of a sudden you're going through it, right? Yeah. True. No idea. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of cancer did you have? So I had Ewing sarcoma. Um, it's a rare form of bone cancer that's um, predominantly found in um, young children. Um, but I, yeah, got it when I was a little older. Mm, okay. How sick did you get, Celeste, while you are in Sydney? Were you able to still do fun things with George or were you pretty knocked out for a while? Um, yeah, so it kind of, the chemotherapy that I was on was like a three-week um, cycle that repeated six, uh, 14 times, sorry. And so the first week I'm in hospital, the second week I'm at home recovering um, and going through a lot of side effects, which would be like nausea, um, mouth ulcers, just feeling really weak in the body. There wasn't too much I could do on my own um, during that first week until I could recover a little bit better. And the third week was it's called my good week where I can do a little more things. And during, I mean, the best thing that I could do is um, like I could try to go for a little walk outside. I wouldn't last any more than 10 minutes or so because I was just so tired. Um, I would do those things or George and I would like go for a drive out to a beach and I would just kind of lay out and George would go for a, a surf or something or we'd go somewhere to eat. We found a lot of good places to eat in Sydney. <laughs> You still had an appetite then? Yes. So, yeah, that was a good thing. I still maintained my appetite, um, which is a blessing because not many people who go through treatment are able to do that. And that's um, kind of one of the things that hurts people more because their their body is just not being replenished at all because they just can't bring themselves to eat or anything. But, yeah, for me, I think it's hard to gauge, like, how sick I got. But um, I pretty much just – my body was – yeah, it was just getting wrecked from the inside out. And um, that was, yeah, pretty hard. I know that one thing we wanted to talk about tonight was um, obviously your experience, Celeste, but also how you were able to cope with it, George. Because when you came home to Sydney, were you with Celeste's family the whole time? Yes. Yeah, We so we, we were living in the house under the same roof. Mm-hmm. And so, we were, yeah, we were pretty... Um, involved (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I'm sure living with parents after you're married again is a completely different experience but when it's not your own family and you're going through that one thing that struck a chord with me when Celeste and I were chatting earlier was the concept of when someone's sick their spouse often becomes the carer but then who takes care of the carer what was it like for you, George, to all of a sudden look after Celeste and you, you're newly married too? Like, 
how did you adjust to that? Yeah, I think um, there are a lot of different phases of the experience. I think um, because Celeste, like she said, when we found out she had cancer, she wasn't feeling sick. She was physically able and very much healthy and nutritious. And so for me, it was more of a, it, it phased into her getting sick from the chemotherapy and uh, phasing into the point where she had lost her hair and, and her um, her changing through her experience and then me having to react to all the, the new changes. And so I think things got harder as the experience went on. Um, I think things got harder the longer I was away from familiar faces and in a foreign land and in a place where I have no friends. And uh, I think all those things that we sometimes take for granted, but when when you're in a low point in your life and you, you don't have your friends, you don't have the places that are, are familiar to you or even the foods that, that uh, are familiar to mm. you that remind you of home and hearing voices that you know. And uh, I think not having any of those things and going through this was were all things that I started to realize as things got harder and um, I, I guess anyone can start to feel sorry for themselves during a time like that. Yeah, absolutely. And homesickness is hard enough when you don't have a life-threatening illness upon your family as well. It can be a pretty crappy feeling in of itself for you, George. It seems like a lot of your time was just making sure that you were getting to the hospital on time, getting less treatment, coming home, looking after her. What kind of activities did you find helped you get through personally? Yeah, um, I think in general I've always been a, a very proactive person and so I think that having that as my my history helped me to have options and uh, in my free moments some of the things I did that kind of kept me sane and kept my mind busy so I'm not thinking about you know our hardship uh, I joined a, a basketball club team mm-hmm. and so we had games uh, once or twice a week um, on the weekends, I've, I would surf every morning on the weekends and I'd get up really early, um, 4, 4.30 in the morning and I'd go out for a surf and I'd be back at 8 or 8.30 whenever it was around the time Celeste would wake up. And so mm-hmm. all those different activities, I, I joined a gym, I got a few jobs and so I I quickly started to... Um, integrate myself into the ward, into the community in some small way. And I think just um, meeting people that were outside of right, our, our little cancer bubble, um, bubble <laughs> I think kind of took my mind off of things and uh, normalized uh, our hardships. So that made a big difference for me. Yeah, that's great. It sounds like you did a lot of really good things. And I think you're right. It's important to be able to have friends that you can talk to that We'll uh, talk about different parts of life, still yeah, bring some joy and normalcy to, to your routine, which must have just been day in and day out of hardship. So how long did that period go on for when you were in Sydney uh, and going through that treatment? Um, so it was, I think, just a little over 18 months. Wow. Were there ever times that you felt like, I just can't do this anymore or I just wanted to oh, give yeah. up? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I I just kind of, yeah, the treatment was, as 
the more rounds I did, the harder it got. And um, especially in my last two rounds, it sounds so crazy because to other people, it's like you only have two more left, like keep going. Mm-hmm. But it's like in my head, like I don't, I wasn't trying to be like negative or anything, but I was like, I really, I don't want to do any more. Like, you know, it, it's just a lot. I think um, George and I being married prior to me getting diagnosed was a big motivator for me to keep going because I was so intrigued to see what our future would be like together, mm-hmm. you know? So I felt like I lived a pretty good life on my own and I think I had accomplished a lot of good things. So I kind of felt like if it was my time, oh, okay, it's my time. You know, I've, I've done my part. See you guys later. I'm going, you know, <laughs> but being married, I felt like gave me a, that was a big part of keeping me going. Cause I specifically remember my last two rounds. I, I was crying to George cause I just didn't want to do anymore. Like I'm sick. I kept saying like, I'm just sick of being sick. I'm sick all the time. And sometimes I would like, you know, people would share like, Oh my gosh, I've had a cold for two days. I'm like, Oh wow. You know, like <laughs> you're talking to the wrong person. <laughs> so like things like that would kind of be hard for me to sympathize with. So I'm like, okay, whatever. Like I've been sick for 18 months. Georgia, my family just really kept me going in that time because it got so hard where I just felt like, Oh, the, the easier thing would be just to not do it. And, you know, and deal with the consequences there. But I'm mm. grateful that I had their support around me. Yeah, that's amazing. Good thing you were there, George. Who knows what would have happened? <laughs> Thanks for that. Celeste would be chilling in heaven, living her best life. <laughs> yeah, you ain't going anywhere. <laughs> I guess it was the same for you. I mean, George, I'm sure you wanted to give up a couple of times too, but did you kind of hang on to the hope that Celeste would, you know, be your normal wife again one day? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Are you still waiting for that? <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> no. Um, she's ill in other ways. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have other sicknesses. Yeah, she's got <laughs> all the side effects. <laughs> No, yeah, there are definitely times. Uh, I think it took took a lot for me to get to that point. I never got like a reassurance that my wife was going to live or anything like that. I just there were times where I felt like I was abandoned, you know, like yeah, I just felt really low and and alone. But uh, during a lot of those times, I did get reassurances that um, just that everything would be okay and I think the, that's all I needed during those times uh, where we didn't have answers, the doctors didn't have answers for us and um, there were side effects that she was getting, allergic reactions and that the doctors couldn't really recognise in the moment within a five-hour span and uh, to me it looked like she was at the end, you know. Um, for all I knew, she, yeah, she was about to to be gone but um, – yeah, there were a lot of miracles um, during those times, people that had been praying for us all over the world. And um, there were times where, you know, Celeste would be crying and I, I would be at work and someone would just show up out of the blue and um, wow. just at the right moment. And um, same thing for me. Um, I'd get a call during a time where I just, you know, wanted to give up and I'd just get a call from a, an old friend. And, um, yeah, I, I look at those as small tender mercies because – it lifts your spirit and, uh, you know, you 
it helps your perspective and I think a mindset would a mindset shift will do a world of a difference for you and what you decide to do next mm. uh, with your actions and, and what you decide to let occupy your mind and your thoughts. And I think it all starts in your mind. And so um, if I was given something that helped me to conquer a negative thought, then I was able to move forward onto the next day. And that's all we were doing. We were just trying to get yeah. to the next day. Mm. I think that's very good advice. Just take it one day at a time. Yep. <laughs> sometimes we cannot comprehend, you know, what life is going to look like in three months, six months, whatever. Um, but I liked a lot of what you said just there about there being tender mercies along the way. I think sometimes because we have a knowledge of the gospel and because we know miracles can occur, when terrible illnesses like this come, we have this expectation that we can be healed immediately. And um, it must have been quite hard not to be seeing instant recovery, especially if you're praying and doing all the right things. Did you have priesthood blessings along the way? Yeah, for sure. There was um, multiple priesthood blessings, more so a lot in the beginning. Um, I had a lot of anxiety leading up to like my first day of chemotherapy, what it would feel like. Um, I was worried how my body might react because everyone's um, chemo experience is very different because everyone's body is different and we react to things mm. differently. So I had a lot of blessings in the beginning. And once George and I kind of got into a routine, so to speak, with my treatment cycles, um, the temple became a big part of um, things that we would do on, our, on my good week. Um, I couldn't last a session too long because I get really dizzy and faint just if I sat up for too long. So um, – being able to spend some time in the temple and doing initiatories and spending some time in the celestial room um, just gave me a lot of peace and comfort. And um, because there were, I guess I never, I never questioned um, why God wouldn't heal me faster or anything like that. Um, but the main thing I sought after was peace, just to have that peace and assurance, like that, like George was saying before, no matter the outcome, like we're going to be okay. And, to be honest, like majority of the, that whole time, I always had peace. Even when I was sad or I felt alone, like I, I still felt peace, which I didn't think I could feel both, um, mm. but I did. And I know that um, George had that as well. So that was a, a huge thing that kept us going was just that knowledge that um, you're not always going to get that immediate gratification from like, okay, well, you went to church this one Sunday, therefore you're sweet for the rest of your life. Like, that's not what we're taught, and it doesn't work that way. Like, we, um, we've com- we've made commitments and covenants with Heavenly Father that we're going to endure to the end, and th- this is a part of that endurance, and we're still enduring now. Um, so, yeah, you don't get a, a medal for participation, so to speak. You have to, <laughs> you got to work for it. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it's certainly different, though. Learning it in theory, especially, let's say, throughout young women's, young men's, mm. and then becoming an adult and transitioning into the phase of your life where real trials really do occur. Um, and although we're taught every week, yes, we get trials to help us. Like, you don't actually think they're going to happen to you or you don't want them. So, yeah, sounds like you both learned a lot spiritually as well throughout the time. Mm. so let's fast forward to let's say the end of your treatment it was 18 months of hard work 
when did you get the all clear? Um, so April 5th was my last, April 5th of 2017 was my last chemo treatment officially. And then on the 20th of April, um, I think, it, yeah, around about the 20th of April, that's when I got um, my scans back and they were all clear. And then from there, um, I've continued to have scans every three months for the first year and a bit, and now it's every six months. And yeah, I just got some actually last week and they came back all clear. So, oh, congratulations. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. very cool. So, was it too much longer after that that you thought, well, let's have a kid? <laughs> like, were you <laughs> yeah. ready for that? <laughs> or are you just giving yourself a little break after the years of struggle? Yeah, so definitely don't expect to have a baby and that short after finishing uh, chemo treatment and um, doctors prior to Celeste even going through chemotherapy said that her fertility would be affected and so her chances of um, conceiving a child would be very difficult Mm. and so for that reason we took the proper precautions which was to go through IVF and to reserve you know healthy eggs um you know, in in a, a case where yeah, her body's not working the way it should be, and then we could try with those eggs. And so, um, we we never knew when she'd be able to get pregnant, and so we we gave her body some time to heal, and we just thought, you know, we're just going to try, and you know, we it may work or it may not, but at least we know that we, you know, did our part. And how long was it until? You got pregnant? So towards the end of 2018, um, when I felt like my body had healed enough and that I was in a good physical, mental and emotional state to start trying to have children, um, we started trying them. We just kind of told ourselves, like, let's just try for maybe six months or so. And then if because they, if I wasn't able to conceive naturally, I had to do further testing to confirm if I really could conceive naturally or not. And then, then we'd know if I need to use our IVFAs or whatnot. So mm-hmm. we kind of gave us that time. But during that, that space, um, we started having conversations about adoption as a family in the community had reached out to us knowing our um, situation that we might not be able to even have children at all. Um, and so, yeah, then it was a, like a week so actually like the – yeah, the, a week before our twin sons were born, the ones that we adopted, um, we found out that I was actually pregnant. So it kind of – the time frame was – they kind of overlapped there. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it was crazy because we did have doubts about ever being able to grow our family because yeah. of what had happened. And so to go from thoughts like that to having three boys – in a year, you know, that's like... Yeah, almost overnight. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's insane. Yeah, and, and really lucky that you were able to adopt as well. I mean, I'm sure the laws are a little bit different where you're living, but I don't know if you've checked out Australian laws for adoption. It's like almost impossible. Yeah, I've I've heard some stories. I know that for a lot of families... Not only is it hard, like, because you have to go through, I guess, different types of, um, like, vetting process or, like, educational things, and then you're on a waiting list, and then you have mm-hmm. to pay, you know, 
a lot of money that not many a people. I looked it up on. one time because I was curious. It, it, the average time to adopt for a couple is ten years from the time that you start applying, and then you've got to pay like registration fees just for right. them to even consider you. Um, a lot of them are international adoptions as well, and they're wanting to prioritize quite sick children. So you've mm-hmm. got to factor that in. You know, right. if you're going to adopt, you don't really get to pick your favorite child. Right. So it's such a beautiful blessing that you had that, that the family were yeah. aware of you as well. It really was. A, you can see in our experience um, that Heavenly Father's hand really guided the whole thing because the way that the family, the family um, had actually reached out to multiple other people before us. Through um, an agency. Yeah, through an agency. Um, they went through multiple agencies. They went through the church family services as well, connections they had there. And for whatever reason, um, things just didn't line up either. Um, the birth family didn't feel comfortable with certain things or the families they reached out to weren't comfortable with whatever. Um, and so, Everyone who was ever involved was very prayerful. And when George and I um, were first kind of presented with uh, the opportunity to adopt, it was something that we took really seriously. And um, I um, I meet with a psychologist um, every six weeks or so or more frequently if I feel the need. And she's been a part of my um, cancer recovery team since I was diagnosed. And um, so I talked to her a lot about um, how – like how it might be for me emotionally and mentally because coming out of chemotherapy, you go through a lot of kind of like post-traumatic stress from just going through such a hard time and then all of a sudden transitioning into normal life. And then I was concerned that the transition into motherhood, especially of twins, if that would be too overwhelming for me or whatnot. And um, so I talked to her a lot about that. George and I prayed a lot about it. We went to the temple and, um, it was just such a peaceful feeling for us and for the birth family to know that. Because um, my question was, like, I know that we wanted to adopt the kids, but I wanted to know if Heavenly Father wanted us to adopt the children. Were, were they meant to be a part of our family? Um, and, yeah, once we got the answer all together that, we, that they were supposed to be our sons, it was such a, a beautiful experience, and it has been. Um, ever since they were born up until now. So, yeah, it is a huge blessing cause, because I know that um, not everybody has opportunity to um, adopt in such a, a fast and easy manner in what we did. So how has it been? I mean, going from newlyweds to cancer survivors, now parents of three boys, and they're all around the same age, right? Yeah. Well, obviously the twins are exactly yeah. the same age. but yeah. They're like eight months apart or something. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they're all the same size, basically. And, <laughs> um, they all wear the same clothes. They, they're very active boys. <laughs> yeah, you know, you see these bags under my eyes. They're from. I them. think you look great. <laughs> it's honestly, it's awesome, and it's a lot of fun. But yes, it's tiring for sure. But you know, it's beautiful. Yeah, you know, I think everything that happens in your life happens for a reason, and I think it's really important to figure out what Heavenly Father wants you to learn from each lesson because it's, in a lot of ways, a stepping stone for whatever is 
lying ahead of you. You know, and for us, uh, I look at it, Celeste's cancer experience and right, the sleepless nights and um, having to push when you don't feel like you have much en- energy or capacity, but still being able to endure and, and persevere. And then stepping into a responsibility like this um, with three kids. And uh, mind you, you know, we we didn't have a dime to our name anymore moving back here to Hawaii. And uh, we both didn't have jobs. And so um, being able to financially support uh, a family of going from two to five, living in Hawaii, I think those are all things weighing on our minds. But, um, you know, connecting the dots, looking backwards, I think the cancer treatment really helped us to be prepared uh, for this time and being able to, you know, take on the new challenge and being able to, yeah, I guess, move through the experience and, and draw back on our previous experiences and, and what we learned from those that have helped us um, currently. Wow, that is a beautiful takeaway. Um, I think we could probably wrap up, but I just wanted to see if you – had any final thoughts maybe what words of comfort or advice would you give to those who are burdened by a serious illness I think the biggest the biggest thing for me that really helped me a lot was um truly focusing on my relationship with Heavenly Father and I think uh, when you go through such a traumatic time because it really is traumatic particularly if it's um not expected mm-hmm. I think um utilizing that time to really express how you're feeling to Heavenly Father and um, trying to put yourself in a space where you can be receptive to the answers He has to give you is really important because, um, you know, there were days where I I literally just felt like crap and I might have been irritated or frustrated or something, but I never – I never pretended like I had it all together to Heavenly Father. He's the one person you can really open your heart up to. He's not there to judge you or to make you feel bad. Like He he really does listen. And I have a strong testimony that he really is so aware of, like, all of his children. And um, he wants to know, like, how we're really feeling, what's going through our minds and our hearts. And um, by being open and honest with Heavenly Father, just like you would hope in, in any other, other relationship. Your strongest ones, the ones where you're open and honest and you develop a relationship of trust. If you can um, model that same relationship, close relationship you have and do the same thing with Heavenly Father, you'll see a big change and you'll recognize and feel His presence with you as you go through those hard things. Um, my relationship with Heavenly Father is very important to me and I think, yeah, although it sucked going through the trial that we did and the other trials that we'll have in the future, um, it strengthened my relationship with Heavenly Father for sure. Just to add to, to Celeste's words, um, I'm grateful for this opportunity that you've given us to to look back on, on a time in our life. And I think what it's done for me is just uh, remind me that we can find not just peace, as Celeste mentioned, but joy and happiness, even during a time where um, you wouldn't find yourself having happiness and joy. Uh, I look back on this experience, and I know Celeste would agree with this. This is one of the happiest times of our life together in our marriages. Wow. During that time where we were able to look at what we uh, were grateful for and 
I really cherish every single moment that we had together. And and when every second that Celeste was feeling able, we were doing things, we were making memories, we were building our relationship, we were having meaningful conversations, we were able to declutter our lives and look at those um, that we wanted to get closer to and those that would add value to our lives. And um, it really made us look at those things that are important. It was a time where I had really connected a lot with my family and Celeste with her family and um, collectively as a whole. And, um, you know, saying I love you to each other. I think these are all things that we don't have to go through such a hard time to to look for those things that are going right in our lives and things to be grateful for. And I think that's where the joy is found. And Heavenly Father wants his children to be happy. And he'll always make a way for that to be a possibility because although we are such a small little thing on this huge planet, like we are the world to him and uh, individually. And I know that to be true. And I felt that as well as Celeste. And um, we just want to be able to declare that and share that with as many people as we can. So we are grateful for you allowing us to do that here tonight. Oh, no, thank you. And thank you for your testimonies. I really felt the power of that. One thing that I learned at church today, actually, there was a talk and it, it was all speaking about justice and focusing on the, the the justice that is required in this universe to balance out the wrongs in our life, that if we experience so much heartache of necessity, we must also experience the same amount of joy and amount of peace and that all the wrongs and the hardship that we experience in this life can be made right through Jesus Christ, but that we don't necessarily have to wait till the eternities to to feel that joy. It can happen, you know, right here, right now, if we look for it. So it's been a good day of learning for me. Thank you for that. I'll just shoot to our final question. And this relates to the, the title of the podcast, which is Choosing Faith. I wanted to explore throughout this project how people approach faith differently. So Celeste and George, what does choosing faith look like to you? I think uh, for me it's really summed up in a quote by Thomas S. Monson. He shares, um, courage, not compromise, brings the smile of God's approval. Um, and to me that means um, even when it's not the popular thing to do or, but, I mean, if you look at our world today, things are pretty crazy and it's uh, we're on a fast down downward spiral. But choosing faith means to um, dare to stand alone, dare to be different, dare to, you know, um, walk shoulder to shoulder with Christ in certain aspects of your life and um, to, yeah, to be the example, to be the light to others when maybe people don't want your light or people don't care about your light. Um, But being, yeah, just being that true disciple of Christ through thick and thin um, and having integrity in that decision. I think to... To really choose to to choose to live in faith is, yeah, to being being loyal to the covenants and promises you made, no matter how hard they are. And it, how you show that might be different every day. We all um, have different levels of ways we can do that. But as long as we keep trying, I feel like that's the main that's the main thing. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> you don't have to add anything if you just want to go with what Celeste said, but you can if you want. I always have something to say. 
for me, um, yeah, very similar to Celeste. But when I think of of faith and and how I how I live uh, through faith, it's for me, it's just knowing that the Savior is who He says He is. That's what that means to me. That if He says, "If you look unto Me in everything, I will, I will provide you peace." You know, if you take no thought of the things of tomorrow and seek first what I've asked you to do, I will provide those things that you need. You know, whether it's a job, whether it's something financially speaking, or if it's, you know, being able to um, make it through another day of chemotherapy, whatever it is, if he's, if he's promised you something, it's, it's, for me, it's believing that he's really going to provide if I just do my, my small and simple part. To me, that is faith that if I do the small and simple things each day, God will provide the next step. Thanks for listening this week. I hope that you found some comfort and strength from Celeste and George's story. And we're reminded that regardless of whatever trial or illness you might be going through, that Heavenly Father truly is aware of you. At least, that's what I learned. If you know anyone whose faith inspires you to carry on through the hard times, you can get in touch with me via the Choosing Faith pages on Facebook or Instagram. Maybe we can get them on the show. Till next time.